The Car Guys Report is up next. But first, take a listen to this other fine OPI show. This is Minutia Men with Rick and Dave. This past weekend was my... 28th anniversary and Bridget and I make a point of going somewhere every year for Mm -hmm. our anniversary uh, just because you know we love to travel and we love to eat and drink Mm -hmm. and we love being away from the kids right and this weekend and you love being with each other Yes. Didn't I say that already? I thought that was the first thing. I thought that was the first thing I said. Oh, you meant, but that's fine. You're a busy guy. Busy guy. Um, Yikes. Tony Lasano podcast and Opie production on the Radio Misfits podcast network. Radiomisfits.com. I'm Steve Baskerville from Back to You. Join me on the Island of Radio Misfits holiday special coming this holiday season to opishows.com. Following is a Tony Lasano podcast, an OPI show on the Radio Misfits Podcast Network. This is the Car Guys Report, Informed Automotive. Thanks so much for taking us along for the ride. Certainly glad to have you along here on the Car Guys Report. I'm Mark Vernon along with uh, Lou Costable, and we're back for yet another exciting episode of this podcast, the Car Guys Report, Informed Automotive. And Lou uh, recently uh, took a, Lou, I'm saying to you, you did not take the trip. I took the trip. Uh, recently went down to uh, Indianapolis for an overnight uh, family wedding thing, and uh, always interested in seeing uh, what was on the roads to and from Indianapolis. And two things that I saw that kind of piqued my my interest or my curiosity. Have you seen the new uh, Supra, Toyota Supra in the flesh yet? What colors have you seen that? Red. Yeah, I saw it in red and I did not like it in red. I thought it it just looks like way too bulbous, way too... There's just no uh, continuity or flow, I think, at least in red, it did not look good to me. It what, all blended together. The, well, it just looks weird. It just looks too chunky in some parts and too rakish in others. And I don't know. But I saw one uh, on the road in black. And I got to say that in black, it looks a lot better than in red. Uh, we were driving along, and I saw I saw something coming up behind us. And I told my girlfriend, I said, I don't know what that is back there. I can't tell. Because I saw the, the front end. It looked kind of low, but kind of those the big rounded fenders. And I saw some logo, and I couldn't tell what it was until it started getting closer. I go, oh, that's the new Supra, but it's black. But then the weird thing about this, and I've actually, I quizzed our man in the field on this, uh, Roger Rexroad, and um, he had a possible answer for it. This is a brand new car, you know. They just came out, you know, merely months ago, and um, it was being driven. It wasn't being driven. The guy wasn't speeding or anything. He was dri- being a, a good driver, but it had wheel well damage at the tops of all the wheel wells. It had you could see like chip paint, and even it almost looked like some rust or something coming through. I'm like, this is a brand new car. Why does it have wheel well damage on it? And the only thing I could think of was the fact that maybe he's tracking that car and he's putting on bigger tires and they're rubbing while he's he's racing. And then Roger, our man in the field, said maybe he was running larger tires for for track use, but. They tried to do like a really quick and dirty like fender roll where you're trying to tuck the top of the fenders in so the, the wheel doesn't hit. And maybe they'll they'll end up putting a, a lip or something on it to cover it up at some point. But I had no – and I looked – as far as I could tell, each each of the four – it just wasn't on one. It was on all four because I saw the car from 
both sides uh, during the drive. And I just couldn't figure that out. It was very, very odd. Mm. But uh, it looked good in black, though. I will, I will say that car looks a lot better in black. I'm still not sold on it necessarily, but it did look pretty good in black. But the wheel well damage just kind of... It was odd. It was just odd, especially on a brand new car like that. The other car that I saw uh, on that Indy trip was a 1958, uh, 56 Buick Special two-door, and it was on the side of the road. <laughs> it was on the other other uh, side of the expressway, so I had no idea that the guy was parked inside it. So I don't know if he was waiting for somebody or maybe he, he broke down and he was waiting for a tow truck or I'm not sure what. But the car looked good. It had uh, aftermarket like mag wheels on it, which looked a little odd. But the rest of the car looked pretty good, and you don't see a, a two-door uh, 56 Buick Special every day on the side of the uh, interstate. So. Was it red and black? No, it wasn't red and black. I believe it was white, and I want to say either white and black or maybe like gray. And were gray all, the wheel, all the wheel wells look good on the this The wheel one? wells look good, yeah, yeah. So it's on the side of the road, yeah. wheel wells look good. They did. On the road, wheel wells look black. Well, that Bad. was a... Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> One of those things. I don't know. I, I got to be scratching my head. But also, too, talking about black cars, recently I um, had a loaner from the Porsche dealer. And I, earlier, uh, several shows ago, we had talked about my impressions of the uh, Panamera because I had that as a loaner vehicle. And, and this time around, I got a Macan which I've been looking forward to because I've wondered if I would be able to fit into the Macan because I'm a Now, what's the difference? Guy. Is the Macan smaller? The Macan is smaller than the Cayenne. I don't know the exact dimensions of it, um, but it's not a lot smaller because I actually had it parked side by side to my Cayenne on my driveway, and yeah. it didn't really look that much smaller. So is one like an Explorer and one's like an Ford uh, Escape? Yeah, it's not as small as an Escape. It's larger than that. But, yeah, it's the same the same progression, you know, like the RAV4, the Highlander, the Sequoia, the Forerunner, you know, all that kind of stuff. Yeah. But the Macan, it's been out. It's, it's, I think it's their best-selling vehicle right now. And this one had only 50 miles on it. So it was brand spanking new. It was a 2019, all black. And actually, the two things that impressed me the most, I really like this one a lot more than the Panamera. The Panamera did not impress me with the V6 turbo. This has a two-liter four-cylinder turbo, 248 horsepower. I popped the hood, and I'm like, wow. I can see ground. I can see daylight because, you know, most car bays, engine bays these days are just so jam-packed full of engine and auxiliary stuff. You can't see anything. And this says that little four-banger in a relatively large vehicle. And I could see the driveway through it. And I'm like, hey, that's pretty cool. Yeah. <laughs> and and so the, you felt like you could work on it. Kind of, yeah. Just changing spark plugs and doing the oil. That's about all you can do these days anyway. But an odd thing, too, and I don't know why they, they designed it like this, is the hood. It's, it reminded me of a Mini, because I think the Minis do this, too, or, or used to, is when you open the hood... It actually is almost like half the front fender, too. So you're, you lift it, and you're exposing the headlights. The headlights stay on the bottom part of the car, but the hood has cutouts where the headlights go. So it's like this big metal stamping with the big holes for the headlights. And I don't know why they did that, because it seems like it's a very expensive uh, piece so, of metal so to hole, make. a hole through the hood? Or? Yeah, so you open up the hood, and there's like two openings where the headlights are, you know, because wow. when you close it, it just goes down around the headlight. Yeah. But I don't know why they did I don't know why they just didn't, you know, cut it out. Yeah. 
like they would usually do that. I, I it might be a safety thing, something with the crash worthiness of it, but I don't know. Mm. I had no answer for that. But I wanted to because that's a cheaper vehicle too. It, it starts at fifty one thousand, and I wanted to see where it was made. It was made in Germany because I know Mercedes makes some of their uh, lower price cars in like Hungary because the labor rates obviously are, are lower there, so they can afford to sell it for a less price. But fifty one grand for the start of the Macan. It had plenty of power. Um, I actually had, believe it or not, I actually felt like I had a little bit more room in the Macan versus in my Cayenne, which blew me away. A little bit more legroom. And one thing they did that was very nice versus the Cayenne and, and any four-door car that more manufacturers should do this is, you know, when you have a four-door, your armrests, because your door is shorter, your armrests are not as as, uh, as long. So you don't have as much uh, elbow room. And I have big dangerous elbows and what they did with the macan is they actually carved out a little bit of the b pillar which is sits right behind the 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 door and the armrest so they carved it out enough so when you're on the on the armrest you your elbow actually has that room that they carved out on the b pillar so it gives you more room it's a super smart design i just thought that was awesome the only thing i didn't like inside was rear visibility was pretty bad um the the rear window isn't real big and then there's a big blind spot on the rear where the c pillar is and back um that that wasn't good you'd have to definitely get accustomed to that if you you know, decide to buy that vehicle long term. But I was pretty impressed with it. It didn't look like it had a lot of options on it either. It had 21 inch rims, which I know was an upgrade. Um, it comes standard with the, the I think it's, I don't think it's leather. It might be vinyl and Alcantara, but the seating surface is a black Alcantara. And, you know, for 51 grand, and I thought this car might have had a uh, sticker of maybe 55 on it because it didn't look like it had a bunch of other stuff on it. It was pretty impressive. I really liked it. Um, I don't know if I'd like it enough to want to, you know, get rid of my Cayenne at some point, get a Macan, but I was reasonably impressed with it and i'm glad i was able to uh have a chance to uh drive one and it probably is pretty similar in size i think lou to your mkc mm-hmm. is it yeah i always had i can never remember the nomenclature on new cars and that segs way segs into our um next uh topic as as soon as we get this out of the way be sure to tell a friend about the car guys report if you like what we're doing here on the car guys report it's available online at radiomisfits.com you can follow us on twitter at car guys podcast you can also email us and that's the easiest thing to do we'd love to uh, get your feedback uh and just tell us if you've got a crazy car story and um wherever you're listening to us from uh we'd love to hear it uh car guys report at hotmail dot com is our email address i'm mark vernon along with luke costable we were just talking about um the uh, porsche macan and uh wanted to touch briefly on what cadillac is doing we talked a couple episodes ago about the new blackwing twin turbo v8 engine that cadillac has developed exclusively so far for use just in the cadillac lineup and uh if you're familiar with the uh, previous cadillacs they had the uh, the v series uh the v sport series which was their high-end uh uh 
performance models that had the uh, supercharged uh, V8, and now they're going to be uh, switching over to this uh, 4.2 liter twin turbo Blackwing. And it just gets a little confusing because Cadillac Lou is one of these companies that, I mean, I really want to believe in them. I think they make a good product, but they just can't seem to decide on what they want to do. They keep coming out with different variations of the smaller coupes and or smaller sedans, and they just can't seem to like get a handle on what exactly they want to be. And, and before the show started, I was thinking, you know, I think if Cadillac would kind of decide that they want to be like an American BMW, I think would be kind of what I see. Because I don't see them being quite like Mercedes. Mercedes has more of a panache as far as the luxury goes. It seems like Cadillac has wanted to be more performance-oriented and engineering-driven, and I kind of see that dovetailing with, with kind of a BMW philosophy. And I think that would be cool. If they, if they end up using this Blackwing uh, V8 in their high-end cars and doing it properly and maybe even developing like a Halo car. We had talked that right now they don't have any uh, real uh, two-door models in the uh, lineup, at least with the Blackwing-type engine in it. I think that would be a great thing for them to do. So maybe, Cadillac, if you're listening, you can uh, take our advice and see what happens. But what they're saying here is for 2020, the CT4V, and that's another problem, too. They're coming up with these weird nomenclatures. Before we get to the next one, I'm just thinking out loud. So they're sitting in the Cadillac boardroom. (laughs) Some guy's dialing through iTunes or Apple Podcasts, and he stumbles across our... and the, the chief designer, the chairman of the board, looks over and he goes, what are you doing? And he goes, I'm getting some ideas yeah. for, the sh- for, our, for our next <laughs> design. Well, what are you listening to? The Car Guys Report. Yeah, we're going with it. Yes, the board of degrees. See? See? <laughs> Great minds think alike. That's, that's the way it works. The CT4 is in the same size category as the BMW. Hey, there you go. Uh, three and four series in Mercedes C-Class. And then um, they're going to have a CT4V, which will be um, the entry compact. Uh, continu- uh, this gets so confusing. Are similar to the Audi A3, the Mercedes A and CLA classes, and the small BMW 2 Series Grand Coupe. Now, Cadillac names the BMW M340i, Audi S4, and Mercedes AMG C43 as competitors to their Cadillac CT5V. And this article that appeared in the magazine says, why? Cadillac has uh, retreated from taking on the Germans directly. See, I think that's a mistake in prestige and price point in favor of its old bargain premium strategy. See, I think that's wrong because... You don't buy a Cadillac thinking you're going to... be a bargain strategy. Yeah, bargain premium strategy, whatever the hell that means. It just doesn't make sense. These uh, CT5 and CT4 V models are considered mild V models. They're replacing the actual V Sports models. But there's going to be a high-performance track model V coming, and that's going to be uh, most likely using the Blackwing 4.2-liter twin-turbo V8, which was now, it says, assigned to just the lame duck CT6V. So, I mean, part of this is it's, I'm, I'm getting confused just trying to tell you about this because it just is it's, it's all these different uh, numbers and letters are thrown in. They're saying, well, we're not going to compete with BMW, which they should. Okay, now let's really help the board at Cadillac. Okay, let's okay, go. Let, let let me, let me chime in All for right. just a minute. Yeah, no problem. So number one, 
what is this VBSQLM? I, I What's don't know. This alphabet stuff yeah. on the back of these cars. I mean, well, just like Infinity renamed their entire lines, but they have a bunch of cars with Q in them now. Q which is 50, this, like, yeah. 60, 70, yeah. 80, whatever. All right, let's go back to names. Yeah. You know, you buy a Cadillac because you want an Eldorado. That's what you want. Even just saying the word Eldorado, it sounds awesome. Yeah, you're right. So what are you driving? I'm driving an LMNOP Cadillac. Yeah. No, that doesn't do it. What are you driving, Lou? I'm driving a Cadillac Eldorado. I mean, that, that tells you right there you've arrived. Okay. Now you can go, I'm driving a Cadillac Fleetwood. And that's your base price where yeah. you go, okay, all right, Lou's driving a Fleetwood. Well, he's, you know, he's still working on it. He's still coming. But you drive the Eldorado, the game's over, and you're done, right? I mean... You know, Muhammad Ali drove an Eldorado. I mean, it's, you know, that's what you want. Okay, so. No, you, when, got, a, you got a real good point there. Yeah, and I don't know why they the had names. decided to do all these alphanumeric yeah, yeah. Uh, naming schemes. Well, I, I can tell you why they did that. They said they looked over at the, the Europeans and the Europeans were doing that. Yeah. You know, we're driving a Jaguar XKR, yeah, you're right. blah, 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 yeah. blah, blah. And but they don't want to compete with the, <laughs> with the Germans anymore. Well, that's what they just said. you don't have to. Yeah. If you make the right product and Cadillac has the ability to do that, bring back the names we like. Yeah. The Ford didn't screw up by not throwing away the Mustang name. Yeah. All right. They screwed up when they started mis- mixing the Ford Mustang up with, you know, something that looks a little more, you know, average car. And then they finally got back to the roots. Well, the Mustang 2 is what you're probably well, yeah. referencing mainly And, and even the Mustang 2 wasn't bad. There was a short time period there, 72, 73, where you're kind of confused what the Mustang was. Yeah. But the Mustang 2 started to bring you back to a little Coke bottle design, and the Cobra 2 was, you know, okay, now we're getting back to the right track. Uh, that, you know, then the, uh, um, <coughs> excuse me. And then the um, see this is a live program. Yeah, this is a live program. Lou's actually sneezing. <laughs> yeah. But that, then the other the other thing though was you know once they got back to to the the retro version, and I have to give Chevrolet the credit there because that really came back from uh, the Transformers movie. Yeah. Once the Camaro started to look like the '60s Camaro, and we go, okay, yeah, that that's it again. Uh, although the '70s Camaros are very cool, etc., uh, especially the earlier ones. But the point I want to make is is that get back to the names that people like. Yeah, you know, it's a Dodge Viper. We know visually if you close your eyes what that looks like. It's yeah, a you don't get a, you Corvette. don't get a, an image in your head when you say I have a CT4V. It's like what is huh? that? Yeah, yeah. You know, you say you know you say Corvette. I have a visual image that it's a cool car. Yeah, no, that's a very good point. So, and 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 you did touch on a point that that I kind of touched on earlier is the fact that I think Cadillac has the ability to make an awesome car if they really yeah, want to. I think they'd be great. And they I, are great. Yeah, and I think with that with that Blackwing 4.2 liter twin turbo V8 slotted into the right chassis with a, a decent name. Like, you know, I'm glad they called this thing the Blackwing engine. I think that's a cool name. Yeah, that's a cool and name. And they're not, you know, they don't have some weird name for that. So yeah. plug that into, you know, even just like they could even call the car the black one if they have wanted to. Have you driven to. a Cadillac lately? No, I haven't. Okay, so I, I have. So I, I, I'm not, <coughs> excuse me, I'm not upping you, but I, what I'm saying is when I drove it, I was wonderfully Impressed? surprised yeah. by the enjoyable What ride. was it? Do you know? It was... Uh, what alphanumeric designation? Yeah, to your point, I don't know what that was. I do know, though, that it had 650 horsepower under the hood. Okay, 550 and it, probably. And it, and it was a four... Uh, no, it was probably like 650. What was it? It? Well, it, was, it was a four-door, but, you know, so it was... Well, it had to be a V-series then, I mean. It was, yeah, it was some sports V-series, you know, this that would is be our high horsepower. 550 horsepower. I think it was 650. 
It was a lot. Okay. Yeah. And and I'll tell you this. I, Of course, I usually drive in the normal speed limit. But in this particular open road <laughs> opportunity, and the car actually wouldn't let me steer. Yeah. It was doing it on its own. Yeah. It was like, just point it. And literally, my hands, when I tried to put them on the wheel, it was almost like, you know, don't touch me. And we... We're rolling. Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, it was it was extremely impressive. Well, that's good to hear. And um, like I said, I think that they do have a future if they follow what we're talking about here on the Car Guys Report, Informed Automotive. And, you know, we don't always just talk about Cadillacs and Ferraris and Porsches on this program. We like to touch all car bases. We talked about the Pacer in a recent episode. Today, we're going to touch briefly on a Prius. Believe it or not, we've talked about, you know, my girlfriend has a Prius. She loves it. Uh, Prius. Now you know why yeah. the Prius is coming onto the channel. <laughs> Honey, well, gee, we talked Mark's, about the Prius Mark's today. Mark's girlfriend yeah. has a Prius, and look what we're talking about now. We're talking, the only reason I wanted to touch on this is because it, it intrigued me when I first uh, heard about it. It's out now. It's a 2019 Toyota Prius all-wheel drive slash E. And basically what they have done is the all-wheel drive slash E system retains the uh, two-motor continuously variable transmission that the standard Prius has. And what they're doing is they're just simply adding a third electric motor packaged within the car's rear subframe. And the only connection between this compact seven-horsepower motor and the front drive powertrain is electronic so there's no drive shafts or anything like that basically what it does is the car starts off in uh, four-wheel drive until it hits about six miles an hour and then the rear motor switches off and on as needed uh, if it detects slip or something like that so it's kind of an interesting thing i don't know if it's you know it's it's not like they're making an all-wheel drive thing that you can take off road or anything it's basically for you know snow belt type states like you know here in chicago we would we would be interested in something like that it's not a huge price premium twenty seven thousand three hundred is the base price um what are your thoughts on that because you're well well you're wagging your is it is it two is it two Obviously, it's two-wheel drive. Is it front-wheel drive it's, or rear-wheel no, drive? No, front-wheel drive standard. It's and normally front-wheel drive. And they're, they're adding this rear motor that that turns it into an all-wheel drive vehicle up to six miles an hour, and then it turns off, and it's front-wheel drive again until there'd be, like, slippage or something detected, yeah. and then the, okay, the rear so, wheels kick in again. So, I, first of all, I think this is a great idea because you, you, you're buying a Toyota Prius because you're interested in the economy, you're interested in low gas mileage, uh, you're interested in bettering the planet, right? And then if you can be safer, that's what the all-wheel drive is, is, is delivering to you, especially in snow or what what roads. I mean, this is a natural thing. I mean, so I, I think that's a real good idea. Yeah, they said, this is from Car and Driver, they said that uh, their pluses were improved traction, obviously, and still gets 50 miles a gallon. Um, but then they say it brings negatives, brings new meaning to the term part-time all-wheel drive. And they, they said winter tires are cheaper and more effective in many situations. That's debatable. I mean, I'm a big winter tire fan. I've been doing it for years, and I do think that uh, any car would benefit from, you know, four proper winter tires on it in the winter, and especially then if you have a, uh, a car that's even more capable in uh, winter conditions and you put snow tires on that, 
you're almost unstoppable. But I think snow tires on this all-wheel drive Prius would be cool too. So um, it's just something to uh, think about. They're adding it adds fourteen hundred dollars to the total cost of the base price. But yeah, but that's not bad. You know, I, it's just another option because I know the Prius. They've been saying that the Prius is getting, as they say, a little bit long in the tooth lately. They kind of have to. They they did a kind of a radical restyle a year or two ago. And my girlfriend looks at it and she goes, "That thing looks kind of weird. I like mine." Um, well, well. Uh, you know, There's let, so let, many other hybrids that have come out that Toyota was the leader in the original one, but they kind of have to up their game a little bit more, I think, lately. I to, think this is a good up your game because if, you, if you've got somebody who's in their, you know, if you're purchasing the car for somebody, you know, your parent, you're purchasing a car for somebody, you know, your, your biggest concern is not looks. Your biggest concern is safety. Safety. Yeah. You know, you're, you're not, you know, unless you're losing, you know, you're not thinking about getting a Corvette for your kids so you could drive it all the time. Well, it goes but, back to your tuner Volvo thing that we talked right, about in, right, in, right. in a recent episode. Well, well, let's talk about the tuner Volvo thing so people are informed on this episode. The short story is uh, you were mentioning you were at a car show and you saw some a Volvo that was a tuner. And I said, actually, that's a pretty smart move because the Volvos have always been known for a, a safety, safety first. Yeah. So to, to get your kid into motoring cars and yet have it in a safe vehicle, that's not a bad idea. So, yeah, no, I think the Toyota Prius all-wheel drive, I think that's a great idea. Cool. That's good. And speaking of Volvos, uh, once again, uh, we uh, come back to our friends at uh, Bring a Trailer. We always like to do this segment here on the Car Guys Report, Informed Automotive. Uh, interesting cars for sale that were either well-bought or well-sold, or maybe they're still for sale. Maybe they're going to go to auction. But um, if you're not familiar with Bring a Trailer, it's an auction site that specializes in, in cars. And basically, uh, enthusiast-type cars, you'll see everything in there from you know high-end Porsches, lots of Alfa Romeos, Ferraris, Volvos, Saabs, a lot of European stuff, but you'll see American classics on there as well. You'll see Corvettes, just a whole bunch of stuff. They always have about 200 uh, live auctions. And you can search, too. You can see what stuff is sold for. And I always like to kind of just uh, cruise through there and see what is interesting, what may have sold for a good price. And this one is interesting. They call it the Amazon, which is the 122 uh, uh, S model of uh the Volvo. I don't know exactly the whole story behind the Amazon name, but it's the classic. It's from the it's it's the interim uh, Volvo between the boxy 140, 240 series that we were just talking about that the tuners are using and the earlier PV 444, 544 series that a lot of people think look like a downsized 1940 Ford um, or for, yeah, 40, 48 Ford. So the 122 was kind of in that 60s time frame. They made uh, two doors, four doors, and station wagons. This was a 1966 122S, four-speed, and it sold for $7,000, which I think is a good price. The car looks fantastic in the pictures. Of course, you know, you got to see it in person, but it looks very nice um, in in pictures, we don't know the real mileage because bring a trailer is always very transparent. They they say they say twenty four hundred miles shown, but then they say TMU, which means true mileage unknown. Which so it could be one hundred and two thousand, it could be two hundred and two thousand, maybe being a Volvo, it could even be three hundred thousand. But it was burgundy with a red velour interior, and these one twenty twos have really cool interiors too. And a lot of the front seats from the factory on these one twenty two models were just really cool, very form fitting, really really cool looking seats, a, a seat you would not expect to find in a rather staid looking um you know family sedan basically but for seven grand this thing went for um on uh, bring a trailer i would uh, definitely consider that to be a well-bought uh car 
And um, that's the kind of stuff that uh, we like to uh, talk about here on the Car Guys Report. If you like what we're doing here on the Car Guys Report, Informed Automotive, there's plenty of other Radio Misfits uh, OPI shows to check out on the Radio Misfits Podcast Network. You can uh, check out the show called Back to You, legendary Chicago TV personalities Howard Sudbury and Steve Baskerville talk about life, travel, food, and the long list of things that bug them. Plus, you never know when one of their many famous pals might stop by. Back to You is an OPI show, and it's available only on the Radio Misfits Podcast Network. Great Talk Radio isn't dead. It just moved to a better place, and that's where you are, the Radio Misfits Podcast Network. Find it at radiomisfits.com. I'm Mark Vernon along with Lou Costable. You're listening to the Car Guys Report, Informed Automotive. I always like kind of teasing things that we might be talking about on a future episode, uh, Lou, and we we touched on it, uh, I believe it was last episode, we were talking about um, heritage uh, manufacturers getting in touch with their heritage cars, and mainly the, 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 the ones that have the really true heritage. I mean, sure, GM has heritage. They all have heritage, and there's heritage divisions within GM, too, but a lot of the European manufacturers are uh, embracing their roots, so to speak. Uh, you know, Aston Martin, a company that's been around for well over 100 years. They have a tremendous history. You know, Porsche, BMW, Mercedes, these are some of the uh, Ferrari. These are some of the the, uh, car manufacturers that are embracing their roots as manufacturers, and they're developing specified, specific uh, departments within their companies to cater specifically to their heritage vehicles. Um, Aston Martin is doing it. They call it Aston Martin Works heritage you can uh, just do you could do um google searches on any of these companies you could just type in like uh bmw and you type in like classic or classic heritage uh and you'll get the website that will direct you or the link that will direct you to the website run by the manufacturer for these heritage type uh, support things but uh, like for an example aston martin works department which is uh, part of their heritage they're using the um original forms that were used on Aston Martins back in the 50s and 60s, hand-beaten aluminum uh, body panels. They're using all those original things to recreate uh, or restore vehicles that are brought to them. You can actually uh, bring your car to some of these heritage uh, manufacturer uh, specialty shops, and they will basically restore your car for you. Of course, you're going to pay big, big bucks, but it's going to be certified right there that it's genuine and everything is correct. BMW is doing it. They call it BMW Group Classic since 2016. So they've been doing this for about three, three and a half years now. It's been home to all things BMW for restoration and service, along with a showroom and parts counter all on site. Some of these are happening only in Europe but also some of them are happening here in the U.S. too. BMW has a U.S.-based BMW Certified Classic Center, specifically designated dealership trained in basic service on classic models too. So that's one thing you always wonder too. If you've got a classic uh, model from a major manufacturer and you're thinking like, you know, am I going to be able to go to the dealer and get my oil changed? And in some cases, yeah, they're going to be able to service you and know exactly what you're what they're working on. You know, it's not just the latest, you know, well, this thing just 
doesn't have a computer port on it. I can't plug into it, so we can't tell you what's wrong with your car. Uh, Ferrari Classic. Actually, it's uh, pronounced Classique because uh, I'm not a linguist by any means. But uh, Ferrari's been doing this for a long time. And what marvels me, too, Lou, and I don't know if you've ever seen, you ever seen pictures of, like, the Ferrari factory? It doesn't look like a factory. I mean, it's got these, everything's painted white inside. It's got plants inside it and tons of natural light. It almost looks like a lounge or something. It's amazing. And that's what, you know, Ferrari has a, has a classic center that they're doing the same thing. Um, it just is, you know, these uniform guys, everything is spotlessly clean. And the thing that, that, that I like about learning about these um, heritage centers is the fact that nothing seemed nothing seems rushed here. It's not like these, you know, half these shows you see on reality TV where they're restoring a car in 3 days. It's like they just take their time, they do it right, and that's what, you know, people expect when they're paying, you know, I'm sure buku bucks for these things, but it's just so amazing. And Ferrari says here the famous Red Book certification process, so named for the red binder of documentation given to successful cars, was started in part due to Ferrari's concern that too many incorrect or outright fake vintage Ferraris are populating events in the marketplace. As a company that has always recognized the strength of its brand image, Ferrari founded its Classique program in part to address this issue in the vintage Ferrari scene. And they say today the Class E K certification is a big deal to buyers that are spending, you know, millions of dollars on Ferraris. And it makes sense too. He says the process isn't cheap though. It starts with a few thousand dollars for shipping your car to Italy and it can easily escalate into the five figure range with complications, but it's the go-to method. If you need to be sure your 250 GT short wheelbase is the car it's claimed to be. So Lou, you better get that car in that container and get it shipped off and your wife can go because it's a trip to Italy. Please watch a lot of <laughs> My car story with Lou on YouTube, and uh, hopefully I have that problem marked. That Donna, we've got to go to Italy to follow the car. Yeah, that would be great. We have to get the car certified, honey. Yeah, it's very important. Being a Jaguar owner, Lou, you'll be happy to know that Jaguar Land Rover has a classic works department, and they're even uh, doing the electrified version of the uh, E-Type, which is uh, what uh, Prince Harry and... Uh, his bride drove when they got married. They they drove off in that. Um, or was it was it Harry or was it the other one? I think it was Harry. I, I don't follow the royals. Harry, so I, Meghan, I Meghan, yeah, Mar- Meghan, yeah, Meghan, Mar- Meghan, yeah, Meghan Harry Markle. Markle. Yeah, I, yeah. I, I I mean no disrespect, believe me. But the uh, they call it the Jaguar E Type Zero is a genuine classic E Type with its straight six internal combustion engine swapped out for a zero emissions powertrain, and uh, it costs about four hundred thousand dollars to do the. Um, to do the conversion but the beautiful beautiful thing other than the dashboard the car looks exactly like an e-type i mean it's just unbelievable it's very very cool and they're doing that high-end stuff plus other you know things that you know you might want to get done on your uh, jaguar or even uh, your land rover and just a couple more real quick ones i want to touch on lamborghini is doing this of course you want a jaguar history joke Sure. All right. So if they were going to do a history version of the Jaguar, then the first thing they'd have to do is make sure that it leaks oil. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> or or something, some Lucas part fails and the <laughs> lights go off or something, right? That would be the Jaguar heritage. You, now, mine has no challenges at all, but I'm just, you know, mine's a 20. I mean, you've, you've heard why the, the, the British cars, uh, you know, the, when the, wi- the wiring catches on fire, you're just letting the smoke out. Yeah. I, uh, I, I actually <laughs> were videoing some cars this week. Uh, a gentleman came up and... He said to me, he goes, Lou, we, we just moved this car and there's some oil underneath it. 
And I looked at him. I said, that's great news. He goes, no, I mean, it leaked out. I go, yeah, no, that's great news. I, I said, that means there's oil in it. In it, exactly. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. That's the classic. He's like, oh, I never looked at it that way. That's awesome. Mercedes-Benz, of course, they were kind of the leader uh, as far back as 2006. They became one of the few European marks to offer a fully equipped North American division of its classic program. It's located in Irvine, California. And this is what I was talking uh, to uh, Lou earlier about. Mercedes takes stocking classics parts seriously. They have more than 50,000 parts that are unique to its classic models. And if something isn't available, Available, they will make it from scratch, which is just amazing. They use both old world techniques and modern tech, depending on the part. For example, Mercedes now 3D prints plastic spark plug holders for the factory toolkits of its legendary 300SL Gullwing and Roadster models, as well as the sliding sunroof rollers for sedan and coupe models from the 60s and 70s. And that's like that's such a classic thing because you might think like. Why the heck would they? Would anyone want to get a sliding sunroof roller? Because that's the one part that'll probably fail. And you're and you're like, where the heck do I get this thing? And it's like makes all the difference if you have the new part in your thing. Your sunroof is going to work properly. And Mercedes makes them and they'll sell them to you. I mean, it just blows your mind. And I just think that is so cool. That of course you're going to again the watchword here is you're paying for all this stuff. You're going to pay up for it. But if you're that level of dedication, you're that serious about these kind of cars. It can make all the difference between just, uh, you know, uh, uh, a good restoration and a great restoration, so to speak, or just finishing your car off with all those little touches that you want to get done. Porsche, of course, too, has a classic division as well with over 52,000 different historic car parts stock to keep them on the road. So if you're a, a got any of these cars like a porsche mercedes lamborghini ferrari aston martin jaguar land rover classics you're in good hands with the uh, car manufacturers and it's a good thing to know about that speaking of being in good hands you're listening to the car guys report informed automotive we got to take a quick break and we'll be right back i'm howard sudbury and i'm steve baskerville and on the next back to you we're going to have justin kolovsik and he is the guy that runs the uh, exhibit here at the museum broadcast communications in chicago stay tuned rock on tv yes what are the things that strike you out there. I love the various suits. You know, Johnny Cash's suit to Don Cornelius's suit. Paul Schaefer's keyboard that he played on the Letterman show. Yes. Artifact after artifact. And that's on the next Back to You. Back to You with Howard Sudbury and Steve Baskerville. Back to You, an Opie show. Only on the Radio Misfits Podcast Network. Great talk radio isn't dead. It just moved a better place. Radiomisfits.com. This week on Minutia Men's Celebrity Interview, we talk with Rico Suave himself. Gerardo. You were far better looking than Rick and I ever were. Uh, do you still have that beautiful mullet? As far as the mullet, there's nothing I can do, my brother. My hair be receding for the last couple of years. is almost gone. Oh, now oh. we love you. Yeah, yeah. Minutia Men, Celebrity Interview. An Opie show only on the Radio Misfits Podcast Network. Great Talk Radio isn't dead. It just moved to a better place. Radiomisfits.com. And we're back here on the Car Guys Report, Informed Automotive. Just had to uh, get a quick drink of water and uh, get repositioned here. We get going here so much, Lou and I, and uh, we just uh, time just flies by, and that's a good thing. We're certainly glad to uh, have you along here. Lou, uh, one of the things that has become popular on this podcast is our lists. And I always like doing these. Um, came across a list 
of actually 20, so we're going to split this into two. Uh, we'll do half uh, on this show and half on the next show. And we've been talking a lot lately about um, station wagons. Station wagons are getting to be more and more respected, especially the European models. And Road and Track recently uh, came out with what they thought were the 20 best wagons. So we split it into two. And I'll just start going down the list. And you can can fit in. You can chime in. Yeah, okay. As you want to do. I'm I'm having a tough time with the word great and station wagon in the same sentence. I'm not, actually. But but actually, there are a few that I can think of that are probably great. So I am a little excited to hear there are a couple on this list, too, out of the 20 that I thought could have been on there, but they're not. And we can talk about that in the next episode when we do the, the now, next did, 10. Did they number them? Did they say uh, like No, it's just is... one of these things where they okay, just kind of so go through. In general, here's, yeah. here's our top and, 20. And granted, some of these were, were available here in the U.S., some only in their country of origin, some okay. J, uh, Japanese domestic models or Australian models. So yes and no. But there's definitely some that you're going to agree with here and some that you might be scratching right, your head. But I'll, I'll just start. And, and you start, and I'll say and this, what I, and, if, yeah, if well, I have any thoughts, I'll join in. I have comments about the first one, actually, on the list. The Saab 9.3 Turbo X, which was basically an abomination. It's when... Uh, you know, GM had fully taken over Saab, and it has nothing to do with with with, with really being and a Saab. They're saying this is one of the great ones. Yeah, and I don't I don't agree with that at all. They didn't make that many of them. It's a turbo. I believe it had it might have had that horrendous V6 turbo that they were built, putting in Saabs for a while, which is just a total garbage engine. Let's move right to the so next yeah. Let's one. move to the next one, and this one will, will please our our fans down in Australia. The Holden Commodore Sport Wagon, mm-hmm. which you can get as with an optional V8. And some of these are not obviously in production anymore either. This is the other thing. Some are still being made. Some aren't. So obviously what, what the Saab is, isn't being made anymore. I, I have no idea about many station wagons. So tell me about this Australian one. The whole, you know, I don't have a picture of it in front of me, okay. um, but I think it's you know Holden is GM's uh, division down in, uh, or I don't know if it's still so, affiliated. So with, like I thought GM was going to actually spin that off or something at some so point. Does it look like a Chevy but, station wagon? Uh, not really. No, it looks cool. I mean, Holden's are neat cars um and so is it like a land rover station no it would look more like um just kind of a modern uh take like the take the pontiac g8 which was a holden okay or the um impala s or the the Malibu SS that they had out or the just the chevy ss and they made it a wagon and they kind of yeah i mean i'll probably get raked over the barbie from our australian fans here but um if you own one email us a picture we'd love to see your holden commodore sport wagon with the option yeah Uh, and and here we go with cadillac again the ctsv wagon yes i strongly agree with that that's the one that had the uh it was a v so it had the 550 horsepower supercharged uh lt or ls engine in there that's lt ls engine yeah great cars i mean those were fantastic and they only made them for I don't know, uh, four years maybe. And they're out there. They're a little pricey right now, but I think people are realizing they were a great car. And they're just fast. They're cool looking. They're awesome. That That's pretty much my favorite one on this first top 10 here. The VW Golf R. Now, that was not sold in the U.S., so that was a Golf Wagon okay. R Series. All right. A Mitsubishi Lancer Evo MR, which is a Japanese domestic market. So take, take the Mitsubishi... Lancer wagon. If you remember what that looks like, yeah. it's kind of a squarish wagon, small. Yeah. But it's got the Evo treatment, which was the uh, 300 horsepower, two liter turbo, all wheel drive, 
just like a little super mini wagon thing that'll blow your mind. So okay. uh, that's pretty cool. Um, then now two Volvos, of course, and there's other Volvos on the list, but the first two in the, in the first top 10 we're doing here is the Volvo 850R, which is a great car because the 850 series was the more, was the continuation box. of the 240. That was a box. Modernized. Yeah, but boxy, but now awesome car. R, now does the R mean that there's like a race Tur- version? Turbo five-cylinder uh, juiced up yeah it's a okay. great car right. awesome car and then the so the, it's gonna surprise you then the, yes and the successor to that which is the next one the volvo v70r okay which was even the more they rounded off the corners a little bit little but bit, it yeah. still looks kind of boxy but so again they made an r version or a race version to it yeah wow, well never, sport never version knew, never yeah. knew that oh yeah never knew yeah that. and they made the sedan in the r version too great cars always awesome. learning now here's the yeah. guys report and here's one that lou this will warm the cockles of your heart the Chevy Bel Air Nomad. There we go. Yeah. That's the one I yeah. was saying. Yeah. If there's a great wagon, it's the Nomad. Yeah. That's, that's, okay, that's number one yeah, for me. Yeah, that's in there. And then two Audis on the first uh, uh, listing of 10 that we're covering today. The Audi uh, RS2. And my note here is it's now old enough to import because it's over 25 years old. Because Audi has had a tradition of making a lot of their RS, because they have the, they have standard Audis. They have the S's. The, and then they have the RSs, and the RS is a, the ultimate performance models, and they have a history of hardly selling any RS models in the U.S. We get the S models, but not the RSs, and the RSs are just incredible cars. So the Audi, two, the Audi RS2 and then the Audi RS6 Avant. Now, that's going to be— Now, the Audi was all-wheel all, all drive. Oh, always, yeah. Okay. Quattro's, yeah. So, yeah, so I could see where they'd love it. And the RS6 Avant, they're bringing that— here to the states for i believe 2020 is gonna have 600 horsepower in a wagon what was this? super expensive the audi rs6 avant How it's been it? it's been sold in in europe for many years but I, they're they're bringing a version of it here finally i was in a uh, in a porsche wagon recently the uh, panamera sportback the panamera yeah. sportback yeah that's and a gorgeous looking car. I love it. It was surprisingly quick. Oh yeah, well that's got the that's got the the V8 in it. I yeah. don't think it has this, a V6. First of all, it was a little bit it seemed lowered. Yeah, it is. It seemed like it had low profile yeah. tires. Yeah. And we boogied in that thing. I mean, this thing was surprisingly quick. Yeah, no, those those are awesome. I that's why I like uh wagons because you can do so many things with them. I mean, it's 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 the perfect um the perfect car to get if you don't want a sedan or you don't want a full-on SUV. You get a, one of these sport wagons. You get the power. You get the roominess. You get the cargo hauling capacity. It's, it's almost the best of all worlds, really. And I know they're not for everyone because a lot of people think station wagons are dorky, but they're really not. And if you saw some of those tuner Volvos we were talking about, I mean, they were doing that with the vo- wagons, too. I mean, it's it's pretty cool. And we'll cover the next 10 on the top t- top 20 great wagons, according to Road and Track, in the next episode of the Car Guys Report. If you like what we're doing here on the Car Guys Report, Informed Automotive, you can find us just by searching for Radio Misfits on any of the popular podcast platforms, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, iHeart, Google Play, Stitcher, and TuneIn. You can subscribe to us. You'll get an automatic uh, notification when we've got new content. And you can also rate us, too. We'd love to get some more positive ratings we thank 
everyone so much for taking the time to rate us. And if you like what you're listening to, please uh, spend a couple of minutes and uh, give us a rating on our podcast, on Apple, Apple Podcasts or any of the other platforms. And the great thing, too, to remember is when you're listening to any podcast on the Radio Misfits Podcast Network, they're all totally free, and it's listening on your terms. You can fast forward, you can rewind, you can replay, you can get old episodes, you can re-listen to old episodes on any kind of device that you've got, whether it's your phone, your tablet, your desktop, you can stream uh, live, you can stream uh, in your car, you can just do it all, and it's all listening on your own terms, and that's what podcasting is all about, and it's all part of the Radio Misfits Podcast Network, and we are the Car Guys Report Informed Automotive. It's time for that uh, part of the program where we talk to Lou about his uh, popular YouTube channel, My Car Story with Lou, and we play the My Car Story with Lou guessing game where Lou will uh, tell me uh, three cars that he has featured on his his, uh, channel and which one had the most popularity in the way of views on YouTube. And uh, you never know what's going to... I have no idea what Lou's going to throw out at me, and so I have no has, idea what, what views... And I just make wild-ass guesses and see what happens. <laughs> so the, the game is played that on the channel, the My Car Story with Lou YouTube channel, I throw up the car, I will take a list of cars and then i'll bring it to mark he has no idea which one is top middle or bottom and i give him three cars to choose from so here they are in the year of the car okay. the oldest first the 68 plymouth sports fury two-door in blue okay that's the first one the next one by year is a 73 porsche 911 carrera rs touring with the 2.7 liter engine and the last one, the 1980 Ford Fairmont Futura with a turbo in silver and black. So I'll go through those three again. The 68 Plymouth Sport Fury, two-door in blue. The 73 Porsche 911 Carrera RS Touring 2.7 liter. And the 1980 Ford Fairmont Futura turbo in black and silver. Well, since I'm a Porsche owner, you had me at the Carrera RS uh, 2.7, but... I'm going to go with the uh, future, the, the Ford. The 1984. That's yeah. your first, that's yeah. your number one. And then the uh, 68 uh, Plymouth or whatever it was. The 68 Plymouth Sports yeah. Fury two-door. And then the Porsche. Well, Mark, you get the ding, ding, ding. You have nailed them all correctly. Wow. The Ford Fairmont Futura had 8,414 views. The Plymouth came in second with 3,673 views, and the Porsche surprised me that it only had 1,500 views. Yeah, I think because it, it, it looks just like a regular 911. I mean, it's got the R, it probably had the RS striping on it, but again, the magic is under the hood and in the chassis and the stuff that you really can't see and appreciate unless you drive it. And yeah, stuff. you got a star on that one. Yeah, good. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah. Well, I redeemed myself from last episode because <laughs> I was all wrong on That's that one. Right. But what was the attraction for that for the Ford? Uh, Futura thing. Well, the, the attraction for that one was the turbo. Yeah. Because... And that's a factory? That was a factory wow. turbo, and people didn't see factory turbos. Yeah. So the fact that I was able to find one, um, I should discuss that for just a moment. How do, how do I find the cars? So cars generally have to have one of two things. Either they have to have what I call the wow factor, where you walk up to it and you go, wow. Um, 
Or they have the what, what, the yeah. what factor where you go, oh, I think I know what that is. What? That, that factor. And you click through and, to find out more. <laughs> so when I, yeah. And so when I, um, at this particular show, it was the, the Carlisle uh, Chrysler or the Chrysler Nationals or the Ford Nationals. I was at both of those this year. So the, the sports fury came from the Chrysler Nationals and the Ford Fairmont came from the uh, Ford Nationals, of course. So when I was there, you're looking at actually like six Ford Futuras, and you don't usually get to see one. Now you're getting the chance to see six, Mm -hmm. and you're thinking, I have about the opportunity to video 24 cars this weekend, tops, if I run like a a wild man, of about 3,000 cars that are here. So which 24 are you going to pick? So when I said, gee, I haven't seen a Ford Futura, and I don't know how long, so then I got a little engrossed in that and then you have to start to determine which one's different versus the other ones and that's how it happens yeah it's 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 interesting and like you said uh there's just so many uh you know i I like when you find the stuff that you do like that ford that was a factory turbo in 1980 and in in really just kind of a plain jane car right i mean it's like whoever thought about it or whoever thought would sell it and who hung on to it for (laughs) almost 40 years i mean that's incredible so that, that's the kind of stuff that uh, that makes your channel so great, and uh, certainly appreciate uh, your hard work in. Uh, uh, thank you, Mark. No, seriously, I, I mean that. Um, you know, your hard work in, in in really taking it seriously as far as trying to get the best of the best, and that's what part of what makes uh, the uh, my car story with Lou so popular. Of course, it's your 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 handsome mug on the uh, which I get off. Yeah, the, which I get out of the camera as soon as possible. <laughs> Yeah, watch any episode, lose there for about 10 seconds or less, hopefully. <laughs> hopefully. Let's look at this chrome trim again. <laughs> Coming up on the next episode of the Car Guys Report, we'll talk about leather. Is it on the way out for car seats? You'll find out. And another crazy price for a supercar owner's manual. That and much more on the next episode of the Car Guys Report, Informed Automotive. Thanks so much for taking time to listen to us. Certainly appreciate having you along for the ride. Special thanks to executive producer Tony Lasano with opishows.com. Opie, if you're wondering, is the word hippo spelled backwards. O-P-P-I-H shows.com. Distributed by Ed Silha with Radio Misfits. Great talk. Radio isn't dead. It just moved to a better place. And that would be radiomisfits.com. The proceeding was a presentation of Opie Productions. Find our other great shows wherever you find podcasts, including opishows.com. Thank you. This has been a presentation of Old Pie Productions. Tony, can you shut up? Hey, hey, Free Kicks is in a very special place. We are in London. So pumped up. Stamford Bridge, back at the old stomping grounds, looking forward to a, a great match against West Ham. Chelsea is uh, Adam's favorite team. We're going to get to see them live. You'll hear all about our adventures, exclusive interviews, and we're going to call this episode Free Kicks Across the Pond. Fantastic. Pip, pip, governor. <laughs> he hates it when I say that. Don't even do it. <laughs> and listen to us uh, this week on Free Kicks. Direct from the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. Stay tuned. Rock on TV. Now at the Museum of Broadcast Communications. From bandstand to gaga. Let's rock on TV. For info and tickets, visit museum.tv. If you missed Lausano or La... Los, Los Anno and friends, here's what you missed. Attila, the president, is here. The guy that's in charge of the whole network. So we have to be good, right? Yes. <laughs> <laughs>
Yeah. <laughs> and so far. So what's going on with the network? Anything exciting? We have a, a thousand shows. I mean, there's a lot of them. We have a lot of shows. Yeah. Name the worst show on the network. Go ahead. <laughs> say it to his face. Just say it. Say it to his face. Yeah. yeah. No, no I, 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 would, I dare anyone to find a bad show. There, all... there is not a show on this network that yeah. I'm not proud of. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Aww. Yeah. Uh, Great Talk Radio isn't dead. It's just moved to a better place. Radiomisfits.com. Radio Misfits. Get more. Lausano and Friends. Lausano. Now on Lausano.com. Good luck trying to spell Lausano or whatever it's called. I'm Rick Kemper from Minutia Men. Join me on the Island of Radio Misfits Holiday Special, coming this holiday season to opishows.com.